You can line up quietly in the back, of course, with Brent and Heidi. You can head out that way. Kindergarten through fifth grade, the treehouse. There they go. That's really loud, sorry. So how are we today? <clears throat> I mean, this, if the singing is any representation of how we're doing, we're doing great. That was, I, I love how much this congregation sings and just is not afraid. Um, in some places, you know, it's like pulling teeth to try to get people to, to sing. And, and you, I think, at least um, based on your participation, understand that like everything else that we do for God, it's about our hearts. Right? The quality of our voice is not important. The matching of the pitches of people around you is not as important, maybe, as some would want it to be. Right? The idea is that it's a joyful noise. Right? It's called a noise for a reason, right? And a clanging symbol, all these kinds of things that reference what it can be. However, it's beautiful, and it's wonderful, and I would encourage you to continue to kind of maybe push beyond the comfort zone and just sing out and worship our Lord Yes, indeed. So my name is Trace. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are finishing up a series called a Generous, Setting an Others-Focused Path for the New Year. And I've spent a fair amount of time over the last two weeks kind of talking about some areas where we would like to put some emphasis and some growth. Um, one of those was a prayer. Right? Broadening our understanding of the power and the purpose of prayer. And last week we talked about community right? and the significant role that community plays in our lives, both in being in community and serving the community, and that both of those are found and enjoyed in a real genuine uh, pursuit of Jesus. Like As we're seeking to follow Him, Community and serving and all these kinds of things are, are a natural extension of those things. That's kind of what I was building on. And I would encourage you, if you weren't here either the last two weeks and, and you are sort of a member here, you're a regular tender, you want to be in the life of this church moving forward, just go back and, and listen, PillarOceanside.com. We, we record them and put them online, um, not because, you know, it's fun, but because we want it as a resource for folks maybe that, that weren't be able to uh, with us on any particular Sunday. So um, that's my encouragement to you. This week, as I said, we're going to close our series. And um, Mike, I think in the announcements last week, maybe sort of tipped our hand about what's coming up next. Um, so starting out next week, we are starting a new series called Origins. And we're going to go through Genesis. We're going to start Genesis 1-1, and we're going right? <clears throat> At least the first 11 chapters over the next 11 weeks, which actually, believe it or not, will bring us to Easter Sunday. So yeah, um, that's our plan. And we want to just let you know that we're, we're involved in planning that out. And, and, and really, I'm, we're excited. Like, I think and the more we talk about it with our folks, they're excited too. And so we want to read ahead. Genesis 1-1 through Genesis 2-3 is next week. And that's Mike. He's kicking us off, right? It's going to be weird. Mike's <laughs> preaching. <clears throat> I'm not going to lie. There's some weird stuff in Genesis. Yeah, and one of the reasons we like to go through entire books of the Bible is because you can't avoid the weird, hard stuff. You just can't. You can't pick and choose. Like, 
we're going all through it. So we're going to read about some cool stuff in Genesis 6 and other places. So get on and join with us. <clears throat> the last message that I want to talk about this morning I've titled Stewarding God's Resources. Stewarding God's Resources. The Bible has a lot to say about, about giving, about money, about stewardship of those resources. And this topic, while it can be awkward for a lot of people, uh, is very important. I, I think that we at Pillar Oceanside, since we started, have sort of leaned in the direction and assumed or kind of presumed that people knew they were supposed to give tithes and offerings and even why they're supposed to give these kinds of things. So if you've been with us any length of time, you know we don't pass a plate during any part of the service. We've never done that since we've started. We, we occasionally try to put in front of you the, the, the means in which you can give through the box in the back and, and uh, PillarOceanside.com, but not a lot of time has been specifically dedicated to teaching about giving. And as I was studying this week, I was listening to a couple of sermons, and every sermon that I listened to, and I'm listening to some fairly large um, ch church pastors kind of in the, in the church world, and every one of them mentioned the idea of how little they preach about giving and money. One um, was a pastor for 30 years of this church, and what I was listening to was the third time that they had preached on the idea of, of money and giving. And so we're not alone in this, but I think it's important to acknowledge that giving is often the last barrier that people, like Christians, come up against as they're, they're trying to genuinely pursue Jesus. They want to mature. They want to grow. And the tendency is one of the last things to give away is our, our resources, our finances. I'm I'm perfect example of that. Like, I... I want nothing to do with, with giving anything to the church. In fact, I see my wife smiling back there. When, when I first got saved, um, I got saved in my 20s, and I was like, you ain't getting my money. You're out of your mind. So she would tithe on her part, and I would keep my money, put it right in my pocket, because that's what I did. But here's the deal. It's important, and if you're not equipped to give as the Bible instructs us to do, we can actually do um, some damage in our own pursuit of giving, um, and, and it can have negative effects, is what I'm saying. Not damage to anybody else, but to our own self, our own well-being as we try to give maybe with the wrong motives and those kinds of things. All that to say, it, it's an important topic, and I don't think it's one that we've talked about um, enough. And so my prayer is that by the end of this morning's message, that you'll have an understanding of the biblical principle of stewarding resources to include generous giving. But first, let's pray. Father, we come before you right now, and I'm grateful for all the ways in which you've given us very clear instructions in how to live a life that's pleasing to you. Lord, we've worked these last few weeks to really understand the areas where you would want to see growth in us as a church. Lord, I know that I've spent time in prayer leading up to this new year, seeking your wisdom, Lord, in the areas where you feel like we as a church need to grow. And, and one of those was prayer, Lord. And so we, we invested some time in, in teaching about prayer, Lord. You also shared, Lord God, the idea of wanting to see community blossom and grow even more than it is, Lord. 
And then this idea of, of stewardship and finances and giving. Lord, I believe that this is all of you. I believe that this is what you would have your church right here, right now, to, to understand and know and grasp. And so I pray that hearts are prepared to receive the truth of the gospel and, and the, the word that, use, that you use to bring life and hope and honor to yourself. So we ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. Questions, if you have any, and I anticipate some along the way, you can text that number there, 760-303-1353, and that will go to um, Mike's phone, actually, and we will come up here at the end and do some Q&A, try to answer some of those questions. <clears throat> so let me just start by building sort of a, a case for why we're talking about this a little bit. Uh, something interesting as I was studying this out, the word faith, the word faith in the Bible is used about 500 times. Um, the word love, generally speaking, love, is used about 330 times in the Bible. And, and I think these are pretty important topics in the Christian life. Wouldn't you agree? Faith, love, kind of, kind of foundational, important things, right? What about our topic today? How much do you think the Bible talks about possessions, money, and those kinds of things? It's a, it's a lot. Yeah, lots of good, good answer. Um, there's over 2,000 verses in the Bible about money, about giving. 11 of Jesus' parables are about money. And about 20% of what Jesus taught had to do with money and stewardship and possessions. That's a lot. This is important, right? So I hope you can see why it's important for us to understand why it's important to God, right? It's, it's clearly an issue that he wants us to know something about because he talked so much about it. And so the passage I want to spend some time in this morning is 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, you can open up there. Um, if you need a Bible, there are some on the book table. Those are actually uh, our gift to you, so feel free, if you don't own one, to take one of those. Um, I, I strongly encourage you to have the Word of God in your hands. It's just, it's easier for you to kind of look and, and, and not take my word for it. Like, this is not my version of the Bible or what I'm asking of you. We're just reading what the Scriptures teach us. So here's 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 9. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints." And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others, that your love also is genuine. Uh, this is a powerful passage of Scripture. I, I think one of the reasons why is because there are some things that can be difficult to comprehend. If you 
were following with me and you started kind of thinking through some of what we just read, man, that, that could be tough to grab a hold of. Um, but here's the deal. Once you begin to, to grab hold of some of these principles, man, it changes everything. It really does when we talk about the, our topic this morning. The, the, the topic here in these verses is clearly about giving. So the, sort of a little bit of the background, this is Paul's third missionary journey. He's actually going to the churches in that area to collect an offering for the saints in another area that are actually struggling financially. So his purpose there is to, to garner support uh, for the other saints that are actually having some, some financial difficulties. So it's about giving generously, but, but what exactly is Paul, the writer here, trying to show us? Well, these churches had experienced the tremendous grace of God in such a way that they're, they're like compelled, they're moved to give. Something about their experience with God is moving them to give in such a way that even in their financial difficulty, they're giving with generosity toward the work of God. And so I'm going to outline a few points this morning. The first point I want to pull from, from this text is, is this. One more. Generous giving is a response to the grace of God given to us. So when we give out of generosity, it's actually in a response to God's grace that has been freely given to us. Look at verse 2 real quick, because I think this captures what we're talking about. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Just think about that language. In a severe test of affliction, abundance of joy, extreme poverty, these are heavy, weighty things. Why? Why are they moved to this kind of generosity? See, grace is the point of origin for this kind of sacrifice. So let me ask you, just so we're all on the same page, do we serve a generous God? Are you sure? Okay, because that's the origin of the kind of generosity that we are called to do. We do. He, he gives more exceedingly than we actually need. He's faithful. His very nature is giving, right? What do you think the clearest example in the New Testament of God giving to us is? John 3.16, right? Do I have that one up there? Just in case somebody's never heard it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. I mean, that's, that's the ultimate example, right? Giving of Himself in such a way to sacrifice His only Son for us. Giving us Jesus to rescue us and to redeem us. I want to look down to verse 9 real quick because we're going to skip ahead real quick. But this is going to help solidify this idea. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by you his poverty might become rich. So that, that language might be a little bit confusing. You're like, what's, what's happening? So he's, he's not talking about the wealth of the world. We're not talking about money or finances or anything in this particular example. 
Rather, that by His grace, we'd become spiritually rich through Jesus, right? He emptied Himself. He made a decision to set aside everything, all that He had in heaven, in, in heaven, on the throne, ruling just, just fine, right? <laughs> he set it all aside so that He could come take on flesh, become human, and then His ultimate experience of poverty sort of the lowest of the low in terms of giving all that he had, was on the cross. Becoming sin for us. That's the gospel, right? He exchanged, and this is that language of verse 9, he exchanged his riches, which is really his righteousness and his perfection, gave that up in exchange for our poverty, our sin, our brokenness, so you can see how now in verse 9, can you put verse 9 back up real quick? Yet for your sake, he became poor. He gave it all up so that you might be, you by his poverty become rich. Right? We're bankrupt. Dead in our sin. Uh, Ephesians 2. This will help drive us home a little bit more. But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So that you, by His poverty, might become rich. We serve a generous God who's willing to give His Son that we might experience forgiveness and freedom reconciliation, redemption, fill in the blank for whatever word you want, that we are given new life in Christ Jesus only because He was generous and gave His Son to us. So the first takeaway, again, is that generous giving is a response to the grace that God gives us. All right, let's move on. The second thing we notice from these verses is that they begged to be a part. Did you catch that? They begged to be a part of what was happening next. There's a desperation, it feels like, to be a, a part of what God was doing through giving uh, of, of this support. But I think more striking than this is the idea that they gave beyond their means. Right? Verse 2 tells us they existed in extreme poverty. So giving beyond your means from a point of extreme poverty in our context does not mean, well, I need to give, so... I got a credit card. I got like a $10,000 limit. I'm going to charge that bad boy. I'm going to give all that I can give way beyond my means because I'm supposed to give and I don't have anything because I'm in extreme poverty. That's not what we're talking about. That's never what we're talking about. We would never, ever, ever advocate somebody going into debt so that they give. Right? This is not what's happening here. And if you hear that in any way, run the other direction. Okay? I'm serious. Run the other direction. Because that is not what we're talking about here. So what is Paul saying then? If, if, that's, if that's not what we're supposed to do, but he's telling us that there's an element of giving beyond our means, what does that look like? Well, what I listened to this week, uh, I think, really helped shape my idea on this. And Pastor Begg, I think, says it best. He says this. <clears throat> Here's the idea of giving beyond your means from a, a poverty standpoint. The willingness to forgo a legitimate want 
in order that they might be able to supply a legitimate need. They were prepared to squeeze themselves so that others might not feel the pinch. Right? So remember, they're giving because there are other brothers and sisters somewhere else that are struggling financially. And so the idea of, of giving beyond their means from this kind of poor, have not much to give kind of thing is, am I willing to acknowledge the difference between a need and a want, right? Set aside that perhaps legitimate want, like, yeah, I really want that. I could, I could use that. It could be helpful to me, but I don't need it. So I'm going to set it aside in order to meet a need. Does that make sense? They were prepared to squeeze themselves financially. It's just not comfortable, that language at all. Now, we don't know how that applied to them specifically or, or what that looked like, but it does take a very keen awareness of the fact that everything that you have is from God in the first place. Right? Do you agree with me on that? Every blessing you have, every possession, everything that you have is from God. If, if you struggle with that idea then you're probably already squirming in your chair like from the moment I started this sermon. But it's also going to help you grow, I think. Master the idea that everything you have, every possession, every dime in your bank account, every property, vehicle, article of clothing, is God's and you and I are merely stewards of those things. We're caretakers of those things. It'll change your life. So for the second point, I'm going to rephrase it. Rather than giving beyond their means, I'm going to call it this, trading your want to meet a need. For us, I think today, giving beyond our means looks like trading out our want to meet a legitimate need. All right, third observation. Perhaps the most foundational thing, and maybe we could have started here, but I just wanted to walk through this passage. Verse 5 from 2 Corinthians 8. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. They gave themselves first to the Lord. So if you wonder how we begin to walk out obedience in some of these very difficult things. This is where we start. We give ourselves first to the Lord. So what are some of those difficult things for you? Maybe, maybe it's loving difficult people, right? That can be challenging for some people. Maybe it's giving up the identity that you have really rooted in this world. Like my job is everything to me. Maybe Letting go of that is exceptionally challenging for you. Maybe it is the idea of, of letting go of, of your finances in a certain sense. Whatever the difficulty is, if you want to know step one, it's from this verse. They gave themselves first to the Lord. Where else do we see this idea from the Sermon on the Mount? Anybody familiar with Matthew 6.33? Don't put it up yet. Oh, she already did. No. Matthew 6.33. Anybody know what it says? Yes. What does it say? Right. So we got some King James going on. Seek ye first. Right? We'll put it in real people talk. <clears throat> but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So the idea there is seeking God first. 
But what's the everything else? Do you know what's leading up to this? He's talking about stuff. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to wear, where you're going to live. Don't worry about that worldly stuff. If you seek me first, I'll give it to you anyway. That's the biblical principle here. The way we experience growth and victory in this area is found in verse 5. We've got to remind ourselves of seeking the Lord first. That's number three, right? Did I give you that one yet? If it wasn't clear by then? They gave themselves first to the Lord. Continue on. Paul says that we should excel in this grace of giving. He's like, hey, look, you started good. Like, you're doing really well in, in faith, in relationships. Like, all these things you're doing really well. And you started this idea of giving. Make sure you excel in this grace. And he refers to it as a grace. But he also says, I'm not commanding you to give. Let's look at verses 7 and 8, please. But as you excel in everything, so he's kind of telling them, hey, you're doing a good job in faith. You're excelling in speech and knowledge and all earnestness and in our love for you. See that you excel in this act of grace, which is giving also. Verse 8, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. So as we mature in Christ, we should actually begin to excel in how we are stewarding our finances. But we've got to be careful with how we give. Paul is not commanding the Corinthian church to give. Just like I am not commanding Pillar Church of Oceanside to give in any way, shape, or form. But let's also be careful to acknowledge that there are many places in the Bible that we can point to very clearly that do tell us to give. And so I just want to hit on a couple so that, so that uh, you can see from God's Word uh, what we're talking about here. Let's look at Luke 6.38. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together. Running over, we put into your lap. For the measure you use it will be measured back to you. So really, we could just stop at the first word, right? Give. This is an imperative statement. Do it. All right, Matthew 6, verse 2. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. This actually might tie into something that we're going to talk about later. But he says, when you give, not if you feel like giving, right? Romans 12, 13, just, just two more. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And then lastly, Hebrews 13, 16, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So the idea of being generous with what God has given you with, and in this particular case of, of 2 Corinthians 8, we're, we're talking about finances, but the reason I called it stewarding God's resources is because it's everything that we have, right? Tangibly speaking, in the life of a church, giving financially is a, is a, a significant part of allowing a church to function, and so that's our focus this morning. But there's a very important part of this whole equation. Just, if you have a Bible, sneak over to the next chapter. It might be on the same page. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, let's look at verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves 
a cheerful giver. So you decide what to give. As you've been led by the Lord, this should be a regular conversation with God. Lord, what, what's my, what, what am I doing? How, how am I to steward the resources you've given me? So as you've been led, you decide what you give. And when you give, don't let it be with reluctance or, or hesitation. You know what that idea is? It's like, you know I'm supposed to do this, but I really don't want to do it. All right, that's reluctance. That's hesitation. Or under compulsion, right? You feel like you're being forced to do this. Like, I have no choice. They're teaching on giving. I've got to give. And throw your $1,000 bill in the offering plate. Whatever it is. Doesn't matter, really. It's a $1 bill. Could be. Not reluctance. Not with compulsion. This is actually a really strong warning. Uh, with some very real consequences. In fact, if you're interested in reading a, a, a story that talks about this kind of consequences, read Acts chapter 5 on your off time, Ananias and Sapphira. Yeah. Those of you that are read are like, yep, this is no joke. Boom. Dead. That's the preview. Sorry. <clears throat> so are we to give? Are we to give? Yes but we are to give with joy and satisfaction and knowing where our ability to give generously comes from. So in light of everything that we've covered this morning, I want to have somebody come up and kind of share a brief testimony about how the Lord worked in his life, specifically regarding motives and giving. Okay, so Mike, if you want to come up and... So whenever you hear a testimony, There's no testimony when everything goes right, right? Testimony is because you did everything wrong. So um, you've probably wondered, so some of you, if you've been in the church for uh, any length of time, if you don't know me, by the way, I am actually one of the elders here. So, uh, so I say this story to my shame because this actually happened when I was in full-time ministry. Um, so I was a licensed, ordained pastor, and this, this was my day job. And uh, I, I do believe in the tithe. Um, at one point, I was a lot more legalistic about it, and it's because of this verse. I want to show you something. Christy, would you put up there? This comes out of the book of Malachi. And God says this, will, you, will a man rob God, yet you are robbing me? By the way, the tithe just simply means the tenth part, right? So people that believe in the tithe will would, would give 10% of their income. And he says, but, you've but how have we robbed you? When God says, you've robbed me in your tithes and your contributions, your tithes and offerings, what the King James says. And then God says, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe in the storehouse, storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you, and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. I'm memorizing the King James still, so you're like, what is this dude doing? I will rebuke the devourer for you so that I will not destroy the fruits of your, your soil or your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. And then all the nations will call you blessed, for you, uh, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. So anyways, the story goes like this. I, I get saved. Many of you have heard my testimony. I get saved while I was in the Air Force, and, and I'm reading the Bible, and it seems like God is pretty serious about this tithe thing, right? Of course, I understand what the New Testament says, but I err towards... Uh, literal legalism, 
I'd say is my knee jerk. If the Bible just says it, I read it and take it at face value, which is, is really served me very well, I might add. So I would give and I would give. And if you read a lot of the promises of God on giving, you always see that it's better to give than to receive because when you give, the Bible says that God gives back. And you read Malachi and it's like, man, if I do this, God will do this. It's an equation, right? So I, I work in an engineering field as, as my background in, in mechanical side. And uh, so I like equations. It makes sense. A plus B equals C. Got it, God. If I do this, you do this, and we live happily ever after. Well, the problem is, is that's not the relationship God has set up with us. And my life became to look a lot more like this. So I go to Bible college. I, I get ordained and licensed in the ministry. I'm just loving life. And I'm an associate pastor. And then, the, uh, you remember the, the Great Recession of 2008? I think it was 2007, 2008. The economy just collapses. Well, when you exist off of people giving, what happens to your pay? I'll tell you right now that it drops really quickly, right? When the congregation hurts, the man of God hurts. Because, you know, that's how this works. Like if... God forbid if the economy crashes tomorrow, you know, Trace is not going to, you know, we're going to take his car from him. <laughs> well, that's exactly what happened to me. So every month, my pay is getting less and less and less. I'm married to my beautiful wife, Audrey. We have two kids. And, you know, we have a decent house. We've never been, you know, crazy. But, you know, we each have a, a newer car. We live in a nice house. And then one day, it's like, we just can't afford to make both our car payments. So I go to the bank. I'm a Christian. I'm thinking about this. I'm like, a Christian doesn't run from his payments. Owe nobody but to love them. So I, I take the car to the bank that I financed it through. We drove the Jeep over there. I told him just quite honestly, it's like, I'm not making enough money to afford this Jeep. And so, you know what the bank does? They sue me. They take my Jeep, and then they sue me for not finishing out the loan. I was like, well, this is wonderful. At the same time, the government seizes money from my bank account. We did have some money, but the government says, hey, there was a mistake in your taxes, and they locked up the rest of our finances. Now, every night, I'm crying out to God, you said, if I give, you would do this. What's happened? I was a tither. I'm not saying, I didn't miss a tithe, mind you. Like, if you bought me lunch, and I figured out that lunch was 20 bucks, I brought in two bucks next Sunday because I wasn't about to be cursed. That's how legalistic I was, right? And I was, I was, I've never, ever been mad at God. But I'm like, what is going on here? Like, your promise says this, and this is happening to me. We, we started not to be able to afford our house. We got kicked out of our house. We had to move into a duplex. We moved over to Vista. Times were tough. We had a car. There were times we couldn't put gas in our car. I remember my wife saying, hey, I had to get 20 bucks from somebody to put gas in my car. We couldn't keep food on the table. We actually, I was working at a church. I say this to my shame. It's even embarrassing saying it now. But we would go into the food pantry after work to take food home. It almost makes me want to cry thinking about it because that sucks. Meanwhile, I had been tithing for years. I had given more to the church than I would make in a year. I mean, we were big givers. So I would sit at home and I would just cry out to God, literally crying, laying on my face on this dirty carpet in Vista, you know. <laughs> Neighbors are fighting, you know, doing drugs, and I'm laying on this dirty carpet crying out to God. God, you said, and I'd read Malachi, I'd read the promises. This, nothing happened for, what, months, months, a year. I mean, we just lost everything in the debt, credit cards, you name it. We just got wiped out. And I just began to resent this whole thing. I would still bring my tithe in. I just didn't understand. It's like, what happened to the promises of God? This thing is just as terrible. One night, just to, to make a very, this, this story is very, very intense. I mean, we couldn't buy our kids Christmas gifts. Our kids got coloring books and jump ropes. Thank God they were little. And uh, one night, I'm again laying on the dirty carpet and just crying out to God. I open up the Bible and I, and I read this. I go to 1 Corinthians 13. Now, 1 Corinthians 13, if you've read the, ever, ever read the Bible, 
is the love chapter. It's not the giving chapter. It's not the money chapter. But I, I run across this. I'm reading this. It says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have all prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. Now, pay attention to this. If I give away all that I have. So we talked about being a giver now, right? So he is talking about giving here. If I give all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned and have not love, I gain nothing. At this moment, I don't know why it took almost two years, but God shined the light in my heart, and I realized I was giving with the wrong motive. Because it says... If I give it all away, we know that to give means God will give back. His promises are true. But he tells us something. goes, if you give and you don't have love, it profits you nothing. That's why Trace would just set up here. He goes, look, if you feel like somebody's forcing you to give and you're not motivated by love, put your money back in your pocket. It will do nothing for you. It just does nothing. But here's how the kingdom of God works. If you have love and then you give, that's when the promises of God are active. So here's the testimony. I'm broke laying on a dirty carpet in a duplex in Vista. I've said this several times. I'm not as heavy as I am now, so, you know, I'm, we, don't put sp we don't put meat in our spaghetti. It's just sauce and noodles. It's not the same recipes I'm eating now that put on all this weight. So I'm crying out to God. I read this. I'm like, holy C-R-A-P, right? You know, that's how I pray, unfortunately. I was like, I've missed it. I've, now, I'm a pastor. I'm not, I should know better. I've read the Bible. I've been to Bible college. You know, I have the stuff memorized, and I teach other people. I should be, te you know what I mean? I, I'm telling you how to do this, and I myself am falling apart. I'm like, I don't have love. God, I've been treating you like a slot machine. I give. I treated you like an equation, A plus B equals C. And I was mad that I wasn't getting C because I was doing A, therefore your B was wrong. And I repented. I said, God, I'm sorry. I've missed, I've missed the whole point of giving. Now, I still think 10% is a good thing. I'm not, it's, it's not, it wasn't about what I gave. It was the motive. Do you see what I'm saying here? So I repented. You want to hear the amazing testimony? I repented. You know what happened in the next week? My company bought me a brand new truck. I had no car. I was riding a moped. It was embarrassing. It was not a cool moped. <laughs> I mean, there's parts of the story. You'd be like, oh, man, this is really sad. I got bought a brand new truck. That same week, the government released our money back, said, oh, we made the mistake. We got thousands back. I got hired. I was looking for a job the entire time I was working at the church. Lowe's wouldn't hire me. Walmart wouldn't hire me. I sold newspapers on the evening for the San Diego Tribune with people I worked with at a halfway house that I ministered to. <laughs> That's embarrassing. The people I was leading to Christ at halfway house were also that evening selling papers for a dollar an hour, whatever that was. We had everything restored to us in less than two weeks, thousands and thousands of dollars. We got into a new house. Like, it was almost like, you know, where it said, Malachi, will I not open up the floodgates of heaven? Literally, it rained on us. We were out of debt. My wife went and negotiated all of our debt with everybody and wrote checks to everybody. We were out of debt and out of our miserable situation in less than, less than a month. We actually became Trace's neighbor. We got out of the dirty duplex and we moved next to Trace and Christy, which is why we're here and why you're hearing the story right now. And you know what the catalyst was? I just simply told God, I'm sorry for treating you like a genie. I'm sorry that I gave with the wrong motive. And we have never done that since, and we have not lacked since. We've gone through tough times, but we have never lacked like we lacked back then. So that's the testimony we'll call Trace back up here, is when you give, God cares about how you give. Don't, don't do what I did because God taught me a very valuable lesson. He's after the relationship. He's not after the cash exchange. Yes, I want you to give, son, but I want you to give because you love me and you love my kingdom, not that you love the return on investment. Amen?
That's good. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. There's, there's power in testimony and hearing what God does. And so I wanted to just yeah, hear from, from Mike what God has done in his life. So thank you for that. All right, let me close with this. All the things that we talked about, we can flip it on its head and just ask ourselves the question version of the points that I made earlier. So if you want to test yourself in how we're doing, this is what it looks like. Number one, <clears throat> are you giving as a response to the grace God has given you? So we said initially, generous giving is in response. So the question you ask of yourself is, am I giving in response to the grace that God has given? Number two, are you willing to trade your want to meet a need? That's a question that you need to consider. And it's not every single desire and want that you have. You're like, oh, we can't have that. I can't have that. We're not talking about unhealthy extremes here, but think about that idea, that concept. Number three, are you giving yourself first to the Lord? Are you seeking God first in every area of your life? And lastly, number four, are you giving with the wrong motives or intentions? I really encourage you as you're praying this week and as you're seeking God in this whole idea of generous focus on others, how does that play into what you're giving? Because I believe that we are called to live more generous lives because our Creator, the one in whose image we are created, is generous. So to wrap up our, our series over these last three weeks, be generous in how you pray. Generous in the time you're willing to invest in praying for others. Generous in the way you will go to great lengths to pray and believe with people. Be generous in how you love your community, how you invest to be a part of that community, and how you serve that community. And then be generous in how you steward God's resources. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much that we have in you the perfect example of how you desire us to live our lives. Lord, we can look to the, the words of the Scripture and see the example Jesus gave to us and the way that He made prayer a priority and that He continued to seek after you in prayer. Lord Jesus was always in community around other people. He came not to serve, but to be served. Not to be served, but to serve, I should say. And Lord, we know the generosity of giving and emptying Himself for us. Lord, it's just so clear and so evident that we're called to be generous. Lord, help us to set an others-focused path for this year coming up. Let our intentions be godly. Let our foundations be biblical. Let our motives be pure in everything that we do to serve you, to love you, and to love others. We need your help, Lord, and we ask that you would grant wisdom in this process. Lord, I thank you for hearts to hear this morning and a willingness to 
be sensitive to your Holy Spirit in all these areas of a generous lifestyle. We thank you and we praise you and we ask all these things in the name of Christ. Amen and amen.